Joe. It's really good to be here with you and worship with you. Uh, my name is Pastor Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Portico. Uh, I'm usually at the Mississauga campus. Uh, Pastor Rick is away this weekend. Uh, he and Amanda are taking a few days away, uh, just getting refreshed and getting ready for the Christmas uh, season. And um, I was invited to come here and, uh, and be with you today. So I'm really happy that I have this opportunity. Uh, as you know, um, we've been going through our sermon series this fall called The Journey. And uh, we've been looking at ordinary people on their quest through faith or for faith. And what we've been doing, what I've really liked about this series is that we've been looking at some very common, very familiar Bible characters and sometimes not so familiar, familiar characters. And then looking at some of the moments in their lives that maybe just need a fresh look or maybe even some stories that we aren't all that familiar about. And looking at some of the real challenges that we all face and seeing, you know, what did they go through? What did they learn? Uh, and what can we be learning from them as well? And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Adam and Eve. We've talked about Naomi and Ruth. We talked about Noah. We talked about Joseph. Um, we talked about uh, Achan last week. Uh, this week, I want to talk about David. Now, David is a very familiar Bible character in the Old Testament. Lots of good things that we can talk about, very, uh, some very familiar stories uh, of when he was a child growing up uh, with his brothers, uh, when he was you know, fighting Goliath, um, when he became king, all these great things that he did, uh, some of the mistakes that he made, like uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba, you know, a lot of different things like that. Uh, one of the things, though, is that you know, we can kind of preach those sermons to death, and there is a, a really cool story about David that maybe we don't know about all that much, and we want to kind of take a look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you have uh, your smart devices, you can take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we're just going to read the first six verses, and we're going to take a look at that and then see uh, what it is that... Um, what it is that was happening in David's life at this time. So we'll take a read, and then we'll kind of get into our, our, our sermon today. It says this. I'm reading from the NLT. It says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else with it, without, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam of, uh, from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, uh, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. So when you look at this story, um, it's actually really important that we kind of see what happened, what transpired to get to this point. Because usually when we think about David, we think of, you know, all these great things that he did. We probably have heard that phrase, David was a man after God's own heart. And so when we hear things like that and you see something like this devastating, you know, something this bad happening where, where David is living and all his men are, are fighting for him, they're doing something good, and all of a sudden there's destruction and calamity around them. Their wives and their children everything are, are taken away, and all their possessions, all their homes are destroyed. 
So you think, you know, why does a person like David, as, as good a man as he is, why does he deserve a, a fate like this? Um, but I think what we need to do is kind of look at some of the context, some of what's happening even in the chapters before uh, what's happening here. And uh, what does happen is this is a, a point or a season in David's life where he's already been anointed the next king of Israel. Uh, the, the kingdom has been torn away from King Saul. And David knows, in his mind, he knows that God has promised and anointed him to be uh, the next ruler of this nation. And so he's got that in his mind. But what happens after this, you know, great sense of anticipation, I'm going to be king? What ends up happening is that Saul gets jealous and says, well, this is my kingdom. You know, my sons are going to rule after me. This is going to be my lineage that takes, uh, that rules for generation after generation. Who is this kid, David? And what is, why is it that he gets to, to be the next king? And so what happens is Saul ends up pursuing after David. And David flees the nation, flees the country, and tries to save himself. And during the course of this time where he's running away from Saul, uh, there are some loyal men. There was about 600 of them. Uh, who were loyal to David. And they said, David, we're going to stick by you. And so there were 600 of these amazing warriors that stuck by David and, and followed him. Now imagine what that must have been like, because, you know, these fighting men would have been um, very well established. They had a good reputation in the nation. But here they were saying, you know what, we believe, David, that God has anointed you, that, you, that God has a plan for you, and we want to be a part of what God is doing in your life. So we're going to follow you. We're going to support you. And so they take everything. They take up their families, they take up their possessions, and they go follow David. And now they are nomads. They're, they're roaming the countryside. They don't have a home of their own. You know, they've sacrificed a lot to, to support David in this. And over the course of this, uh, of running away from Saul, uh, you may be familiar uh, with a couple of incidents that happen. So while Saul is uh, pursuing David, uh, David, they're actually very close at times, and there's a moment where uh, Saul goes into a cave and has to go to the bathroom because, hey, you know, you're out in the desert, there's no toilet, you go to a cave. And what they did was, and while uh, Saul was in this cave, it just so happened that uh, David uh, and his men were hiding in that very cave. And all the men around David are saying, David, here's your chance. Look, Saul doesn't even realize that you're here. You could kill him, and you can take possession of the, of the kingdom, just like God has promised you. And David's like, no, 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 I'm not doing anything like this. I'm not going to lay a finger on God's anointed. You know, God in his own time, he is going to give me this kingdom. He's promised it. That's fine. I, I'm going to trust God, but I am not going to be the one that's responsible for killing Saul. So he lets him live. And he even lets him know after he leaves the cave and is a, a fair distance away, David calls out to him and says, hey, I want you to know I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul is all like, oh my goodness, David, you're such a good man. He still keeps on pursuing him. And another time, so later on, uh, while Saul and all his men are, are there, I think he had about 3,000 people with him trying to pursue David and his 600 men and, and their families. They're all falling asleep. They're all asleep. And David uh, has a couple of people sneak up and steal Saul's spear and his uh, water canteen. And wake up the next morning, and David points out to Saul again, hey, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul is like, oh my goodness, David, you are a better man than me. You are, you are so good, and, and I love you. And 
you know, these, he's just placating things and, and really kind of just, you know, saying things to, to, to make it sound like he's very re, uh, remorseful or repent, repenting. But it's not because David was still on the run. So in this period, whilst uh, David is, is fleeing for his life, David uh, makes a decision uh, to, uh, to, to go and uh, be in a place and try and hide out. So he's thinking, okay, I need to go, go and hide. Where am I going to go? And uh, it's actually kind of neat. He goes, uh, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, it says this, uh, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me everywhere or anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So this is David's big plan. He says, okay, if I am Saul, Saul's not going to you know, want to go into enemy territory, so I'm going to go hide out there. And that's what David does. He thinks, okay, this is what I think will be good. And so he goes into enemy territory. These are the Philistines. This is their big, you know, anti-Israel nation of that day. You know, they just did not like the Israelites. And so he thinks, if I go hide out there, I'm going to be safe. But here's the problem. And this is kind of leads into our first point here. And one of the things that we need to do, David was falling prey to his own wisdom and his own understanding. He was relying on his own a sense of what should be done in order for him to kind of make the best out of his terrible situation. And the first thing that we can learn from David's life in this story is that we have to guard our heart against the subtle deception of self-reliance. We need to guard our heart against the subtle deception of self-reliance. So how is it that, you know, David is having an issue of self-reliance when you look at this? You know, you think David is trying to be faithful to God. I am the Lord's anointed. And in these moments where he could have killed uh, Saul, doesn't want to kill him. You know, he says, I'm going to wait for God's timing on this. Um, And you think, you know, when you look at this, David is doing everything he thinks is right to stay alive and to honor God's timing. He said, I'm not going to take the throne until God gives it to me. But the issue comes on what he's going to do to bide his time. And he thinks, if I go and hide it in this area, it's going to be okay. And the issue here, I think, is with David's perception of the situation. And I think we can kind of relate to what David is going through. You know, here in David's life, you know, Saul isn't giving up trying to search him out and kill him. And here, David is the anointed king of Israel. So David is looking at his life and saying, you know, I am the anointed king of Israel, why is God allowing this to happen? You know, God has a purpose for my life. And maybe in your own lives, you've sensed, you know, God's direction and God's leading. And you're thinking, okay, this is where I need to go. Why am I going through all this trouble? This doesn't seem to make sense. Because if God wants me to be here, it should all kind of just flow easily. Everything should fall into place right away. And I think the other thing too, maybe that crept up into David's mind was, you know, why is God taking so long to fulfill his promise? You know, we sometimes can get impatient, and I feel like David maybe had those moments as well. You know, God said he was going to do this. Why is this not happening? And I think sometimes we can feel anger towards God. I don't know if anyone has ever been there. I have been there. You know, when we feel that sense of frustration and, and that sense of, you know, my, the, God's timing really doesn't make sense here. Because when we look at our situation, we see how things should fall into place. But that's the problem that we were talking about. It becomes an idea or a, uh, 
uh, an issue of self-reliance. We rely on our own understanding. We rely on our own timing. We think that things should fall into place when we see it. But the thing is, God sees a bigger picture. God has something bigger in mind and is putting all these pieces together. And hey, the reality is that it's difficult sometimes to kind of trust that and to see everything the way that God sees it. And so we doubt and we try and do things in our own way. And so David makes the same mistake that we do ourselves many times and we move forward based on our own understanding. And I think this happens, too, is we think that no movement or no change in our situation isn't good. And so what we do is we think, okay, I'm going to move forward. God's not doing anything. God's not moving, so let me move, right? And I've done that, and maybe you found yourself in that position as well. You're waiting. You're waiting. Okay, I've got the promise. I sense how God is leading, but God's not doing anything. So then we start to thinking, okay, is God waiting for me to do something And then we start looking for answers. We try to make sense of our situation. Why is God waiting? Is he need me to do something? Is there something else I should be thinking about? Is there another way that I should go? And so we start to get antsy. And we start thinking, okay, because we don't like just not moving, right? We hate being still. We got to move. We got to be moving forward. And then what happens is sometimes the first open door that we see, we just go, oh, there's an open door. I'm going to run right to it. And that's what we do. And we think, well, because there's an open door, it must be that God has opened this for me, right? And all of a sudden, what we've done is we've left God out of the equation. And I think we need to realize that sometimes that, you know, just because there's an open door doesn't mean we need to walk through it. We need to make sure that we're taking that time to pray after God and say, God, I want to take time. I want to make sure that my next steps here make sense, that the things that I should, should be doing, the, the way that I should go is the way that you want me to go. And unfortunately, what we do, as was the case with David, he stepped forward. He moved forward without relying on God. Because when you read that verse, um, in verse, uh, chapter 27, verse 1, it says this, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in the land, and I will slip out of his hand. Here is David making sense of it, and thinking this is what is good for me. So what is it that we can learn from this? And I think when, if, if we're going to deal with that issue of self-reliance, I think one of the things we need to get back to is just seeking God. You know, um, these past couple weeks over in Mississauga, uh, we've started a new, new believers class. And uh, it's just something we're trying out and, and, you know, just offering this opportunity for people to, to come who are new to the faith and be able to just learn some foundational truths about Christianity. And last week we were talking about prayer. And one of the things that we have as a misconception about prayer is that it is just us talking to God. But prayer is really two-way communication with God. If we understand prayer the way it should be, Prayer is, is us, yes, talking with God. We get that part. But God has the opportunity to speak to you. And the best way I can understand it is this. You know, think about you or your, and your spouse or you and your best friend or a coworker. Now, imagine the kind of relationship you would have if every conversation you had went kind of something like this. And, for example, my wife's name is Ruby. So let's say this is the conversation I'm having with my wife. Hey, Ruby, how was your day? Uh, you know, I'm so, I love you so much, and I'm so glad that we're married. And, you know, hey, I was wondering if you could go to the grocery store. You could pick up these things, and I need this, and I need that. And you know what? I love you. So, okay, bye. And imagine, every conversation I ever have was about me, and I fill up the space, right? 
this is not a healthy relationship. This is not a healthy relationship where every conversation, so to speak, which should be two-way, but every conversation is just me saying to Ruby, saying to Ruby, saying to Ruby. If that's all that this conversation is about, it's very one-sided. Now, imagine what it must be like for Ruby to be in this type of relationship. This is not very fulfilling for her. It's not very enjoyable. I mean, she loves hearing my voice, I'm sure, but... (laughs) It's not great, right? We understand. So now think of what it must be like for God when we have a conversation, when we have a relationship with him. When every time we pray, it's, dear Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, please forgive me. God, I need this. I need that. Would you help me here? In your name I pray. Amen. And then we move on. And God's like, oh, uh, uh, I wanted to say something, but okay, you're going on to dinner. Okay, that's fine. All right. And you pray before you go to bed. Oh, that's great. Hey, uh, okay, he fell asleep. Okay. And every opportunity God has to try and speak to us, we just kind of quickly move on. But I think prayer is a great opportunity where we take time to see God. It's not only about us talking to God. Yes, God loves hearing from you, but he also wants to talk to you. So what I would encourage you to do is in your prayer time, yeah, go through, you know, what is on your heart. Share with God what's on your mind. But then give God some space and time to speak to you as well. Just sit there in silence and just wait on him and see how he speaks. One of the things I encouraged our new believers was even just to change. Sometimes we think about reading the Bible and praying. I suggested pray and then read the Bible. Pray, wait on God, see if God speaks to you in the silence and in your heart or in your mind. But then also turn to scripture because after you pray, maybe God speaks to you through something that you read. And so these are some of the ways that if we take the time to seek God and we allow God to, the opportunity to speak to us, he has the opportunity. He has the moments. He has those times where he can speak into us. So one of the things that we can learn from David's life here is that we need to take that time to seek God. The other thing is wait for the answer. We are always in a rush. We're looking for, God, I'm asking for this now. God, can you give it to me right away? But God is saying, hey, I need you to wait. You know, God will always answer. We just don't always like what the answer is. We're either always hoping for yes. Well, usually that's all we want. God, yes. Uh, Sometimes we don't like the answer no. And I think many times we don't like the answer wait. Because we, oh, we just hate waiting. Because we're thinking, well, what's happening in the meantime? If I'm waiting for God to do something, what do I do in the interim? Because we, we really don't like just being idle, right? We like to be in motion. We like to be moving forward. But God sometimes is teaching us something in the midst of that time where we just need to wait on him. Maybe God needs to build up a sense of trust or perseverance or faithfulness, just quietness, just waiting on him. And maybe those are the things that God needs to do in your life. And as I said before, you know, just as it was with David's life, we don't need to, you know, walk through the first open door that we see every time. You know, when we see these opportunities come up, let's take that time to pray and see God's face. Now, in this, in this case, what happened was David, you know, went to Ziklag. Ziklag was in Philistine territory. He ran after this first opportunity that he saw. He thought, you know what? Right now, I'm in a season where I'm running from Saul. Where can I hide from Saul? I'll hide with uh, his enemies. And then he made sense of it in that way. And he thought he was safe. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, chapter 10, verse 12, it says this. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's in those moments when we are filled with, you know, I know what I'm doing. 
I've got everything together. I've made sense of it. I've got a plan. It's in those moments where we have to be very, very careful. Because in this case, David made some serious mistakes about relying on himself. You know, what happened in this, in this story is that David and his men settle into this routine. And what they do is they actually go into enemy territory. They're in the Philistine territory. And what they end up doing is they actually end up helping the Philistines. So the Philistines not only are enemies to Israel, they have other enemies around them. David actually suggests, hey, you know what? We are going to partner with you. We're going to help you go and fight these people. We're going to plunder. We're going to take all this stuff. David gets into a routine and actually gets very comfortable working with the enemy. Like, it's hard to imagine that David, who, you know, is an arch rival or arch nemesis of the Philistines, is now helping them and serving them. Um, He eventually, you know, accompanies their armies and goes out and does all these things. And so when you come now to the story in 1 Samuel 30... And then the men return from fighting, and they come back to Ziklag, and then they see everything is destroyed and gone. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem like it's all that confusing why uh, this happened. David had stepped out of God's plan. Yeah, he knew it was tough to, for David to be fleeing and to be running away, but even in the midst of that, God expected David to be faithful. But unfortunately, David tried to make sense of everything on his own, And these were the consequences of his choices and his actions. You know, the interesting thing here, too, is that the people that had actually come in, so while David was going off to help the Philistines fight and everything like that, the people that had come in to uh, destroy Ziklag, where David and all his family and his town was, were the Amalekites. Now, you may not realize this, but the Amalekites were the people that several chapters earlier in the same book were the people that God commanded Saul to destroy. And this is that moment in Saul's story where the kingdom was taken away from him. The reason being is that Saul was disobedient. Um, Samuel had commanded Saul to say, hey, I want you to destroy everything of the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out. Saul, with his best intentions, thinks, well, you know what, I'm going to save some of the good stuff and and keep these different things to honor God, of course, right? But because of Saul's disobedience in that moment, years later, it comes back to bite uh, King David now. And what happens? if, If Saul had been faithful, none of this would have happened, at least in this way. And so sometimes it actually reminds me of uh, last week's story of Achan. You know, sometimes we make mistakes and there are repercussions. It's not just, you know, that situation of, oh, I can make a, I can do what I want and, you know, it'll just hurt me because it's my own sin. No, our sin, our choices can have consequences with others and we need to keep that in mind too. So when we look at this and we look at David's life, you know, David made a a pretty big mistake here and had serious repercussions because not only did he lose his own two wives and his possessions, but 600 other fighting men who had sacrificed everything, all their stability and wealth in the nation of Israel, made the decision to follow him. Now everything of theirs is gone and destroyed. And what did it say in verse 5? It said that the men were thinking of killing David because they were so upset. Yeah, imagine what's going through their mind. We gave up everything, and now look what's happened to us. We're destroyed. We have nothing. And so we need to understand that when we do these things, when we make these choices, yeah, it's tough. And, and now imagine being in David's shoes. You're this leader of this you know, nomadic group of fighting people. You have no home to call your own. You're thinking you're doing the best that you can for God, but you realize that 
you know, what you've done is not good. Now imagine what it must have been like in David's shoes. And he, I'm, I think he had one of two ways to react. He could have been angry with God. He could have cried out and said, God, what is this? You, I don't deserve this. I am your anointed. This is not fair. But what is it that David ends up doing? And I think this leads into our second point. It says this, failure is an opportunity to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Failure is an opportunity to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And what happens here is David fesses up. He owns up to it. He says, you know what? I made a mistake. It's me who has done this. In 1 Samuel chapter uh, 30, verse 6, that last verse, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. What, here's the, the part that I like, though. It says this, But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, when you think about it, you know, David had, a, had done this well before. You know, when he was fighting uh, Goliath, for example, uh, there's a great story there where uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, he's talking with King Saul, and Saul is saying, hey, are you sure you can do this? You know, because you're, you want to go up and fight this really big giant. You know, I don't know if this makes sense. What does David say? David says in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 37, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Here, David was willing to remember God's faithfulness before he had made a mistake. And I think that's what we can take away from David's life here. We need to be willing to take those moments when we're seeking God, remember that God is faithful before we make this mistake, not after. And if we remember before the mistake, we don't make that mistake to begin with in the first place. And so when we're looking at David's life, one of the things that we need to do here, and that was that second point, failure, when we make those mistakes, as David did here in the story with Ziklag, it's an opportunity to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And the truth is that even in spite of our mistakes, sometimes we wonder, you know, is God going to give up on us? Because, you know, the truth is we sometimes make mistakes a lot. And sometimes we make the same mistake over and over and over again. And we wonder, is God going to stick by us, you know, even when we make these mistakes? You know, I love the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And so one of the things that we can take to heart is if we are, find ourselves in that situation where we stepped out of God's will and we are now owning up to it and we're fessing up to it and say, you know, God, I need to come back to you. And we need to realize that. And we can be reminded that God has been faithful in the past and so he will be faithful to you in the future as well. And there's no, no doubt that you need to have that God has given up. The thing that we can do is then realize, and I guess the question is this, you know, once we realize that we've stepped out of God's will, is there any way of coming back? And I think there is. And the way to do that is this. It's that restoration is dependent on the posture of your heart. Restoration is dependent on the posture of your heart. And this is where the story of David kind of comes full circle here at this moment. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, it says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. He will certain, you will certainly overtake them and succeed uh, in the rescue. Now imagine what it must have been like. Here, David finally realizes, I tried to do things my own way, and I messed up. 
But David was man enough, so to speak, to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to do this right. The next opportunity that I have, I'm going to do this right. And so he looks at, seeks after God and he asks God, God, what should I do? And that's what we can do as well. When, you're in, when you find yourself in your circumstance, whatever it might be, yeah, maybe you got there because you didn't make the right kind of choice, but that's okay. If we take that opportunity to realize, you know what, God can make something good out of this still. Not everything is lost. Not everything is gone. We can be restored uh, when we turn our hearts back to God. And just as God uh, was able to help David, David can help us as well. And this is why it's really neat that years later, generations later, uh, in the book of Acts, as the New Testament church is now you know, growing and flourishing, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says this, and they're, talking, they're telling the story of David. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So it's kind of neat, and I've sometimes kind of wondered, how is it that, you know, for all the mistakes that David made, you know, in a lesser-known story like this and some of his bigger mistakes like with Bathsheba um, and other things that he'd done in his life, how is it that a, a man like this can be called a man after God's own heart? And I think it's because I, I, I think for a long time I got kind of uh, confused about the, the words and, and their meaning here. When I hear, you know, a man after God's own heart, I think, you know, David's heart looks just like God's heart. And that doesn't seem to make sense because if David's heart was like God's heart, David would never have done the things that he'd done. So does it possibly mean something else? And then I realized it's that word after. David was after God's heart. He was pursuing it. And I think that's the real understanding of that phrase there. David was a man after God's own heart. And that's where we can aspire to be like David. You know, in spite of David, all of David's mistakes, he was always coming back to the place of humility and saying, God, I surrender and I'm going to come after you. Now, I love that chapter, uh, Psalm 51. It's a song that David writes in, in light of what happened with Bathsheba. He commits a sin, and he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. And what does David do? He writes a song. Now, think about this. These psalms were written for the entire nation of Israel to sing. So when David does this, talk about humility. He's saying, this is my mistake, and I'm, I'm totally okay with the people of Israel knowing about it. But if it can be a learning experience through my mistake, let other people understand that this is the kind of heart we need to have. And, and David pours out his heart in this song. And, it's where, um, and, and in it, we see the, the transparency that David has. And we start to see a glimpse and, 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 a, and a picture of how David was truly after. He was pursuing after God's heart. And I want us to kind of aspire to the same thing as well. When we look at our situations, when we look at our circumstances, do we have a heart like David where we're willing to go after God? When we say, you know what, God, I've made mistakes. I haven't done things the right way, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to get angry or anything like that. I'm not going to try and pass the blame or pass the buck. No. God, I'm going to pursue after you once again. I want you to watch this video, uh, just a few minutes long, but it kind of captures... Um, uh, the spirit of what we've been talking today and getting to this place where we can have a heart like David's.
was about the oil dripping from my head. I never did dream beyond the pastures I could tend. It never was about the praise, not about the street parade. I didn't really need a crowd when Goliath fell down. I never meant to woo a king. Simple shepherd songs. Well, hideaway inside a cave, safe from danger's arms. I never meant to wear a crown or try to bring armies down. It never was about me and who I hoped to be.
so that's a challenge for us to the, uh, this morning. All of us, I'm sure, at some point or another, and maybe even today, we find ourselves in that situation or that circumstance where we say, God, I've made a mistake. I, I'm not where I should be. And it's because I try to make sense of this because, uh, out of my own understanding. And what I want for us to take away from this is that we can be restored. God can bring us back if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to, to give God that space. Rather than saying, I'm going to keep trying to you know, beat this horse dead, even though it's already dead. No, no, no. We're not going to keep fighting what we know should be true. I'm just going to turn. I'm going to make this right right away. And ultimately, it's, it's a heart like David's that we, wanna, that we see characterized here. David made a mistake, yes, but what did he do? He turned it around. He remembered God's faithfulness, and then he pursued after God. He sought after God. And that kind of posture of your heart, that's the kind of thing that we can all have as well. So how many here today can say that this is something that you need in your own life, where you say that, you know what, there are decisions that I'm making where I've kind of taken God out of the equation, and I've tried to do things my own way. Or maybe life just kind of looks like it's, you're doing the best that you can, but life doesn't seem to be working out well, and you're just frustrated with how things are, and you find your emotions all over the place, and you're try- looking for someone to blame, and-, and you're trying your best. But you look at a story like David's, and you say, you know what, I just need to be with God. I just need to be with him. Just take that time to, to sense his heart. What is it that God wants to do? What is it that I can be doing? Is there anything different I can do? God, I want my heart to be like your heart. Just as David lived that out, how many here can say, just in this moment of reflection, that we want our heart to be like that as well? If you just want to raise your hand, I'm just going to quickly pray for us uh, before we close uh, this morning. But if you feel like that's where you're at, you can just quickly raise your hand and and then you can put it down again. That's great. So many hands. Thank you. Why don't we just pray right now in this moment? And let me take... um, Let's just ask God to be present in all our lives. Whether you're there right now or you realize that you've been there in the past or maybe this is something that's going to come up in the future, I want to make sure that all of us handle this well, that we make sure that God is, God is the one that we seek. God is the one that we pursue after. Not our own understanding, but God's heart and God's understanding of our situations. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this morning where we've gathered here together And we're so grateful for the privilege to to be able to worship you, to come together in fellowship as well, and and to sing songs of worship. But Lord, sometimes, uh, Lord, when we take a closer look at our life, things are not always great. Things are sometimes uh, in chaos. And sometimes it's because of the things that we have decided to do out of our own understanding. First off, God, I pray that you would uh, provide forgiveness for us, Lord God, when we have stepped outside of your will, when we have tried to do things in our own way and in our own time. Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to be reminded of your faithfulness, just as David was. When he looked back in his own life and he saw how faithful you had been in the past, Lord, he realized that there, was n- there never should have been any doubt that you would have helped him and restored him and that he didn't have to take measures into his own hands. God, in the same way as we look at our own lives here in this room, Lord, we've been trying to do things on our own, but Lord, when we look back at your faithfulness in our life, we see that time and again, you have been faithful. 
You have helped us. You have carried us along. Lord, we never always understood it in, in that moment, but you brought us through. And when we have those opportunities to look back, we see that, God, you are always there. You were never far from us. You were doing something good in us or through us. And so, Lord, where we've made these mistakes, we're praying for restoration. We're praying for a new heart, one that seeks after you, one that is, is tuned towards your heart, Lord God. Lord, let that be our heart as well, so that in the days to come, in the midst of even the situations we find ourselves in right now, that you can even change it right now. You can make it a 180-degree turn, and that you can start doing it because we have sought after your face. And Lord, if, even if we're not there right now, Lord, in the days to come, if and when those obstacles come, even if and when those situations and trials and tribulations come, help us to trust you rather than trust ourselves. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you that, God, we're on a journey, that we are discovering more of who we are and how you are changing us and molding us to be more like you, and we thank you for that. And God, we're going to stumble sometimes, but Lord, we don't want to stay down. Lord, we want the strength to rise up again and keep moving forward. So God, if we've made mistakes, Lord, we don't dwell there. We get, our, we get up, we pick ourselves up, and we move forward by your grace and by your strength, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.